Before this episode begins, just a quick reminder that we are not professionals in any way. The views, information or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of the individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the hosts and guests can change at any time. G'day listeners, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It. We are your hosts, Jacob and Josh. So today we're going to be talking about standards of living. Like always, we're just going to get straight into it with an introduction. Easy, so I'll take it away. Standards of living. In today's modern age of technology and living standards, we begin to see a growing decline in poverty, yet an increase of population. How is it that technology and the growth of economics has improved the standards of living? And what does this mean for the people that are living in poverty? Well, this sounds fun. (laughs) This is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this one, actually. Not going to lie. Let's get into it. Alrighty. So basically, we want to get into this conversation because we're seeing like a growth in technology. And before everyone asks, we can actually see living standards increase. I mean, like things that we have now to what our parents didn't have, just simple things like a TV. Everyone seems to have a TV these days. Everyone does. One, two, three. But whereas in, you know, 70s, around that time, not everyone did have a TV. So the living standards have changed really quickly. Whether those living standards contain actually having a TV, but the more we go into things like computers and uh, phones and shit, those things are being incorporated into uh, schools and helping with people learning. So when we look at what we have and in other countries that are less fortunate, they're still back what we would have been using in the 70s. So, I mean, like we can... Yeah, but okay. So you talk about those products and them only being available to certain groups, which for all of these products we've listed, computers, uh, telephones, TVs, they were quote-unquote rich people's things. You'd agree? Yeah, yeah. So why are they now accessible to everyone? Because they're making life better. Yeah, but why why not just keep it that way mm. why not only why not only give it why not only allow the rich to have them or why only keep them at a price that's only attainable to certain groups uh this is where the economy comes into yeah it. yeah so and capitalism cops a lot of shit but it's because of that system that things like this happen yeah it might be because i'm greedy that i want everyone to have a tv but because of that, it's going to cause me to find more efficient, more cheaper and better quality ways to come up with that product mm. and try and beat my competition. Because if I don't, in a free market, my business is going to go bust. Now, when you have that for every single a- aspect of life, I mean, look at a shopping center, for example. A shopping, if you think about it, think of a shopping center. You walk in there, you buy food, not just you but everyone living in that area goes and buys food. A week later, you go back to buy more food and guess what? It's almost like nothing has left the shop. It's all still there. Whereas a couple hundred years ago, we're all shoveling shit in fields because we want some food to eat. And what started was a surplus of food. I mean, for capitalism, it was quite literally a surplus of food or surplus of agriculture, which then because of that, not everyone had to be on farms. And then what ended up happening was industrialization. And then from there, 
you had cities, urban, urbanization, and then the economy was able to grow. And then you started with globalization, you got imports, exports, all of that. All the way to the point now where you can walk into a shopping center and just buy something. Mm. And it'll always be there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, unless it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it always needs to be there so the demand can be met because if you're not meeting that demand, someone else will. And exactly. And that's and the that whole point. And that will be their capital. Even though we see the competition of the bigs and stuff and always trying to bring in more money and shit, at the end of it, you benefit from it. Your, their greediness is where you benefit. Yeah. And my question is what actually matters more, their motivation or the result of their actions? Mm. Because if, if it was only greed that mattered in this situation or if it was only greed that they achieved... And it was only, and uh, if it was only them gathering more money for themselves, well, if it's only greed that achieves these things, if you want more money, why don't you just walk up to your boss tomorrow because you're greedy and say to them, "Pay me more." Is it going to work? No. Well, it also depends if you're uh, working hard enough for them to give you that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair point. But let's just say people talk about greed. They're like, oh, it's because people are greedy that they make millions of dollars. If I went up to my boss tomorrow and I said, I want to get paid a million dollars a year because I'm greedy, is it going to work? No. No. Because I'm not giving the value or supplying the needs of people in order for me to receive a million dollars. Yeah. And it's because, and it might be because I'm greedy that I want to make this extra money. But the only reason I get that extra money is because I'm doing something that is worth that amount of money. I'm increasing my productivity. Therefore, I'm increasing my income. And one, like when you talk about like big shops and things like that, um, in I think it's Thomas Sowell's Basic Economics, he talks about Walmart and how they came to be the massive shopping conglomerate that they are today. And he talked about the fact that they were able to sell their product. Instead of searching for like a, a certain percentage of profit on each product so that they could make money while still continuing to restore their stocks and everything, they decided that if you were able to... An economy of scale, A, makes everything... So if you're able to produce more, get more delivered or sell more things in one location, it makes doing that cheaper. But then also... If you're selling things like food, things that need to be bought over and over and over again, you only need to make a cent on each product. Just a cent. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I mean, yeah, there's going to be products where they make more than that. But when it comes to like really low cost items, you only need to make a cent. Because if you make a cent on 50 different items, well, you've made 50 cents per person on that one day. But then you multiply that over and that's covering all the overhead. Because the cost of that product is also got to cover not just the transport, the cost of the product, the cost of the employees and all of that. Then if you make one cent on top of all of that. Now, would you make, would you call making one cent profit greedy? No. One cent. It's one cent of profit. But when times by hundreds of thousands of items, it starts to build up. Mm. But at the end of the day, who does it benefit? It benefits the consumer. Because the consumer is only having to buy, pay one cent over what that cost. One cent. Mm. But it was because of this that they were able to steal so much of the competition's audience or consumers 
because their prices were so much cheaper and the quality was the same. They were the same product. So the quality wasn't an issue, but they were able to do it so much cheaper. And because of that, more people were able to access it as well. So then people who may not have been able to afford certain items were now able to afford them. So therefore, you have an even bigger market, more people, more times you're making that cent on the dollar. And you just repeat that process over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, it's the consumer that benefits. Yeah. Because now that people, and it's like this with all products, they wouldn't have been able to afford something. But now that it's been made in a fashion that makes it either cheaper, more efficient, easier to access, more people get access to it. And it's happened with televisions, microwaves, cars, phones. I mean, a phone used to be something for only rich people. I could walk into a Woolworths and buy a phone for what, like 30 bucks. It's yeah. not going to be, don't get me wrong, it's not going to be a great phone, but it's probably going to do more than the phones of back in the day that were only for rich people. And that's crazy. Mm. But now it's, everyone has one. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, we look, we look at like um, how we would have started off in this, uh, I'm not going to say, we would have started off in poverty at first. I mean, like, Okay, I've let me got, put it this way. Every country was as poor as the third world at some point, and even the third world is less poor than it was at some point. Yeah. Every, no country just started rich, or the origin of that country, wherever the country was that started another country, that country didn't start off rich. It became wealthy. Yeah. No country was just put on earth a plentiful. They had to work their way to that, and they also had to gain the knowledge to take advantage of the things that they say, for example, there, there are plenty of countries that are booming with natural resources, but they either don't have the knowledge or the ability to utilize them. Mm. So also that's another thing. You can have the same location, but depending on what those people know, say like like duplicate the, the location. Location A and B are the same like in terms of geographics in terms of resources but if you have an information or a knowledge difference between the two groups you're going to end up with massively different results yeah and also i mean like we need to look at uh what what governments are actually putting in in line for what type of freedoms they do have to do with that information so if you know something is highly regulated then it can become harder to utilize that information basically what i have here is that um how australia first started so i'll read this note earlier in the colonization of colonization of australia people living in those times relied on the british government for resources as the people living in those times found it hard to farm because of australia's harsh environment people had to seek ways to begin moving its economy in order to buy up trade with other countries when the British brought over livestock, the settlers were able to herd sheep and sell their wool. The wool was distributed around the world and was known for being the best quality wool on the market. This gave jobs to the settlers and allowed people living in the colony to build businesses based off the means of that production. With the money now being brought into the new economy, this motivated people to open up other businesses based around the public and begin to boost the standards of living. So even when we did move, first move to Australia... The ball wasn't exactly in our court. Yeah. We needed something to actually get us moving because we were relying on government subsidies from Britain. Yeah. So it wasn't until we actually started utilizing sheep wool that our market began to move and then we move on to the gold rush and shit that yeah. really got us booming. But it was that 
initial starting point, that little bit that was able to get us going. And because we found out that it was working so well and the demand in other countries for this wall was so high, we were able to bring in massive amounts of money. Businesses were able to be built around those productions and uh, new new equipment and information was able being distributed to the people that were giving the wall to other countries were able to make it more efficient, cheaper. So we were able to make more money and then we were able to focus on the public eye. So yeah, or even just taking that wealth and spreading it to other industries. But an important key there is exporting. Yep. So there are a lot of countries and I was reading the book False Economies. One of the key examples they give is Argentina and the US. So Argentina, South American country and the United States of America when they started, they were both pretty much equal in terms of wealth um, and all that sort of stuff. The problem was that they both went in very different directions, especially after the world wars. But a key part of it was America's openness to imports and exports. So they were able to reach markets beyond just themselves. So they were able to bring in wealth from countries besides just themselves. Argentina, on the other hand, decided to do the opposite. They started to see external investment from other countries as a negative thing and something that they needed to wipe off the face of their country. And so they closed off their imports. And if you look at the standard of living today in America and you look at the standard of living today in Argentina, two very big differences, hugely. I think, what, America's GDP, I do have this somewhere, Argentina's GDP is... 470.53 470.53 billion. Big number, hmm. sure. The US's GDP is 15.68 trillion. Trillion. <laughs> I'm going to say that trillion. Two very different directions. But it's that openness and that like and I never really thought about this until I started reading and listening to a couple of these books because the whole idea of imports and exports because you hear and this is a slightly controversial topic about the whole idea of certain countries taking advantage of other ones in terms of external investment. So a country investing in another country in terms of mining a natural resource they have and it being them taking advantage of them. Whereas if you don't allow the external trade, export and import, you're cutting yourself off from literally the world the world market and I can't see out of all the examples I've seen it hasn't done any favors and so it's interesting to see that it's kind of demonized when in a lot of examples it's raised the standard of living of that country of which quite, stuff is being exported from it's quite literally benefited everyone I mean like I don't mean to be too bad on this but when we have two billion people that are obese and then 600 million starving yeah and that's that's another crazy that would have been the opposite number and yet we still wouldn't have been at the point where we would have 600 in that obese in in that obese way so you know the whole entire standard of living has increased for everyone meanwhile the population has also grown dramatically oh yeah in times because it wasn't as it's not as hard to live in these standards of livings compared to what it would have been you know, I mean, yeah, before we're quite, these times. Well, it's, it's kind of funny to think about, but today we suffer from diseases of surplus, whereas 
we used to suffer from diseases of deficit. So we used to not have enough and that's why we got sick. Whereas now we have too much and that's why we get sick. It's cra- And no shit, like that number when I first heard it was crazy. There's more obese people in the world than there are starving. That's crazy. Yeah. We've gone from a world that the world originally, and this, I feel like this is something people don't think about and I never thought about it until I heard it. And I was like, actually, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Why have I never looked at the world in that way before is that the entire world is used was poor the entire world so when we look at ourselves and we go oh because we look at countries like australia the us all these first world countries and think of that as the norm this is just how it should be this is how it is this is how it always has been blah 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 blah. but when you look back poverty is the norm poverty is the normal we're the exceptions so we shouldn't look, and this is and this is how it was phrased to me, and I, I really liked how it was put this way, but we shouldn't look at why countries are poor. We should be figuring out how the hell did we get rich mm. or how the hell did our countries become what they are because if we can take some sort of formula from our countries and then help apply, and, which, and this has tried to be done in the past and it doesn't always work because of different cultural geographic all different sorts of variables that come into play which it talks about in false economies with a lot of just examples where the population has turned around and actually killed the government like killed government officials when they've tried to implement some of these but it's just crazy that when you think about it we're not when we're alien compared to what the rest of the world what the rest of the world has been and I feel like we just don't think about that Yeah, I anywhere mean, like, near as often as we should. I've got, I've got a note here. So it was like the more access people have to information within their areas can allow individuals to make better decisions based off that information. What the people do with that information can either have a negative or positive effect. If positive, it can allow further prosperity for those people and boost the standards of living. So within the area, I mean, like if you have something within the area, and you're able to formulate some type of information on that specific thing, and it's allowed, and it's able to help grow some types of standards of living. I mean, like a cup back in <laughs> times of where we would have been in tribes and stuff, a cup would have benefited greatly than having to use your hands or stick your face in water. a water hole because now you can scoop up water okay. from the from the hole. And no longer have to face the dangers of what was in the water. Yeah, and also you could say, for example, if you have fire and you have a cup, you can treat the water, you can boil the water, you can purify it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, we were, I think, I haven't looked into it too much, but from what I hear, we were living in trees for a very, very long time. It wasn't until we discovered fire that we were able to be on the ground because it was able to scare off animals. So, just small bits of information like that has done a huge hmm. thing in terms of us being able to increase living standards. And it's from that baseline that even a small increase off that baseline can yeah. improve living standards. And don't get me wrong, I think too much money can be a problem, especially if you're able to use that money to benefit you in terms of power and stopping other people from reaching prosperities of like opening up businesses and uh, doing things with their types of education through government regulations and stuff, that's a problem. That can be a real issue. So, I mean, like, in terms of when we look at greed, 
and people with a high amount of money doing things to stop others from doing the means of what they're doing, yeah. then that is what I can consider to be greedy. And the problem is, is a lot of that, it's weird. It comes in the form of like government regulation. So it talks about it in Thomas Sowell's Basic Economics. He talks about how certain bureaucracies are made to govern and regulate certain industries because they start to become a bit vo- like very volatile and certain things happen that the government doesn't particularly enjoy. So they create a bureaucracy or some sort of department to manage that sector. But the problem is, is if you already have, say, a very big corporation within that sector and to regulate them, you then bring in a whole bunch of regulations that then make it harder for businesses in that sector to grow as big as said business, you're not really screwing over the big business because the big business has already grown. It's already made its imprint on the market. But for any smaller business who wants to come in and be competitive, they've now got to deal with all this regulation. And the regulation was put there with good intent. It was to control that sector so it didn't become too volatile. But now what you've done is subsequently... Don't look at what it says it does, look at what it actually does. You've screwed over all the small businesses and made it extremely hard for them to do things. Very Well, not even hard, costly. You've made it very costly for them to do things that would be easier on a larger scale. It's um, an economy of scale. If you can do something in bigger amounts at once, it's, it's always cheaper. So if you've got a bigger company that has to deal with these regulations but can do it more cheaply because they are the size they are, well, then they've always got the competitive advantage without even having to get into the product or service that they're supplying. Just through the regulation alone, they're already winning. So that I kind of see. And then also like you could talk about... So yeah, I can kind of see how certain things with good intentions end up working out in a way that doesn't actually... It has ill-intended side effects that weren't expected, which end up fucking... excuse my language, end up screwing over small business. Mm. See, and that's the problem. I mean, like, we can look at those small businesses that are charging more for whatever whatever the means may be that you don't understand. But the problem is, I mean, like, to cover something and have a price higher than what any other bigger company would be charging is at a huge risk because you're no longer just faced with the the lack of people coming in and buying your product. You're also faced with bigger competition, which is selling it for a, such a smaller price and stuff. So, I mean, like, the risk just keeps getting higher and higher for those people that have to continuously meet that demand. It's not that they're trying to be greedy. It's that they're trying to cover their asses so that way they're not going into a deficit of certain things. And if no one's buying those products either, then it still becomes a huge cost to the individual that is trying to grow their business. Um, but uh, not. But the thing is, it not only comes at a cost to the individual who has the business, but it comes at the cost of every consumer because they could have had, they could have had competition which could have forced one of those two companies to become either more efficient, more accessible, or cheaper. Exactly. And I mean, like. Or all three of them. Exactly. And companies like this actually use scientists and uh, 
you know, people that look at the economy and see how it can be fixed to help benefit themselves. In the means of using scientists to help benefit themselves to, you know, find more efficient ways, things become more cheaper and then more efficient in terms of whether or not it's better for the environment or whether it can have better battery life. But for the consumer that has the interest in buying those products, sees those things and makes them want to buy them more because it fits within the means of their likings. Yeah. This is the problem because we look at we we are greedy. Not not greedy, sorry. We are selfish. We are very self selfish people. Even to the point where it's just like you may want to help someone just to make yourself feel better. But at the same time, because you help that person in the means of you wanting to make yourself feel better, it's not like that person didn't benefit at all. So I mean like to go into a market where you want to sell a product we have to think about whether or not people are going to buy this. So we have to look at what what is it that people are interested in. So when we look at what people may or may not be interested in, we're no longer being selfish. We're being what's that word? Well, we're still we're still being selfish. Yeah, but in we're the, still serving our best interest. But it also happens to serve the best interests of the consumer exactly, as well. Exactly, exactly. And and that's the thing. We're looking out. They're looking out on people and seeing what can it be. What can what can sell and what can benefit people in terms of you know living standards? So therefore, it is selfish, but they're also thinking about you because if you don't buy their product, they go bust. Yeah, and that and that's it. It's competition at the end of the day. And also, when we talk about because there's also the the idea that well, if I make something cheaper, well, I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep the profits from making it cheaper. Which from if you see everything as individuals being greedy yes that makes complete sense but what i would question and this is a, this is a question would i make more money if i kept the 10 percent from every single product that was sold or would i make more money if i decreased that price by that 10 percent, but then was able to access 10 percent more of the market so do I just keep the extra 10% or do I access all those people, more of them, and then take all the money from them and then if it's 10% cheaper, they're probably going to be more likely to buy it again. Mm. If it's 10% more expensive, less people are going to buy it. There's yeah. just And they're not going to want to repeat buy as much. Yeah. If I can make it, and this is how Walmart became what it is, made stuff as cheap as possible and didn't keep the profits, because it, it showed the, the inva- advancements in their transportation, in how they ran their facilities, was shown in the price of their products. It was an economy of scale. And so if Walmart became the conglomerate that it is today, I would probably want to take a page out of their book and instead of keeping that extra 10%, decrease the price of my product by 10% and access a shit ton more of the market mm. and bring in a shit ton more sales. Yeah, and... So people can call it exploiting, but you, at the end of the day, thought it was worth the product was worth more than what you had yeah. to give it to them. So it's not exploiting; it's just at your own free will that you thought it was worth more than what you had. And that's it. Like, say for example, if you complain a pair of shoes is expensive, okay, but did you buy the pair of shoes? Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. Well, then you must have thought they must have been worth the price. Exactly. Because if you really didn't think they were worth that price, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have, have bought them. And exactly. And I mean, like, if if you can call that exploiting then I'm going to call it you not having your priorities set straight. Sorry, but I mean, like at the end of the day, I mean, like if you know you've got to put food on, your tab- on the table, but 
you want to fulfill those needs of buying you the wanna, best shoes. You want to have that drip. Yeah, exactly. Even when it comes down to smoking, I mean, like some people would rather smoke and I have met people that have said that they would rather, that they have actually ate wheat bix every night for dinner so that they can su- support their smoking habits. I mean, like it is an addiction, but it's not like you can't not stop. Yeah, and also if you're that person, can you then turn around and complain that food is so expensive or that everything else is so expensive that you can't afford your cigarette to type wall or the the cigarettes must be worth the price you're willing to pay to have them because if they weren't you wouldn't pay that price and i'm not just talking about the actual physical price at that point i'm talking about the price of your lifestyle yeah because you're sacrificing a lot more to keep that addiction i mean like in terms of cigarettes i mean like it's a bad example because it's heavily regulated in australia so well the thing is it's regulated in a way that's supposed to disincentivize people from paying because i think they have a three it's a three percent increase in their tax every it's set set number of months because when I used to work in Woolworths and sold cigarettes, they would go up in the price time that I worked there. They went up in price like three or four times, mm. and every time someone would come in and they'd be like, "Oh, what's the cheapest cigarettes?" and I'd say the price, and they'd be like, "Oh, they've gone up by seventy cents, or they've gone up by a dollar." I'm like, bro, I don't control the price. You're still gonna buy them though. But and also like cigarettes aren't something I can put on sale. Like that's not yeah, how it works. exactly. I mean, like in terms of what smoking has done to people for lifestyle and uh, just health all round. Mm. I mean, like even people that just hang around, people that do smoke, it's a, yeah, take it's, take. It's worse for you, I think. Yeah, well, my, one of my teachers, her dad had like something to do with, he had, he's got really bad emphysema. He never smoked a day in his life. He just yeah. hung out with a lot of workers that used to smoke. Yeah. So, you know, it does, it does have a huge cost. Yeah. I want to get into something. In the development of cities, we can find that businesses and warehouses will maintain their location within the city so it can be closer to ports and railways for cheaper transportation. People living in the cities need to be close to work and this can can cause overpopulation in isolated areas which can have a negative effect for the city. As the demand for houses near jobs would be higher, the price for these houses is more expensive. So it isn't unusual to see more individuals living in the same houses. As individuals begin to make more money from the development of self-experience and objectives to growth, the demand for vehicles rises and housing outside the city begin to develop, creating suburbs. So it was people making more money that were able to go outside of a location. Because they were able to go outside of the location, it was because they had access to transportation to get them to where it is that they still needed to be they don't have to live on top of each other to be in the one spot yeah they can be further out and get there still because they have enough money to even have transportation i mean like if a job if jobs are still tightly knit within a city then and everyone has big amounts of money but and are buying cars and shit then that can be a problem because then we have things like rush hour traffic whereas there's people sitting in traffic for very very long periods of time yeah but it's weird because you talk about that but the thing is that's an extreme upgrade in your standard of living Hmm. but you don't recognize that you just recognize the peak hour traffic you're now having to deal with as a side effect you don't realize the fact that it's the fact that you've moved so far up that you're in that peak hour traffic to begin with yeah yeah there was just to stop those things, I had to put like, um, what was it? Tolls. Tolls in. So that way they were able to stop so much yeah. uh, congestion congestion and stuff. So, 
that boosting of uh, people's wages and or how much money people were actually making were allowing them to, you know, get houses with outside the city and then buy cars and all that sort of stuff. But then as soon as businesses went outside of the city and into the suburban areas, there were jobs out there. And then people were no longer just having to go into the city anymore. They were able to stay within their area, maybe not even have to use their cars. Sounded like someone who was really greedy wanted to take advantage of the needs <laughs> that were of those people in those suburban areas. Exactly. How greedy of them. Exactly. I mean How like- could they do such a thing? <laughs> How dare give the people in the suburbs convenience? <laughs> And it benefited everything. <laughs> yeah, but that was that one greedy store owner who made a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but the, and that's the thing. It's like they may have been motivated by greed, but at the end of the day, it's the consumer who benefits as well. And sure, the business owner may have, like will make money if it's a And this is the other thing. If it's a successful business and if competition doesn't drive it into the ground. And that's the thing with capitalism. If you don't do a good job, someone else will. Yeah. Unless you've got like some sort of regulation or something in place when then that, that screws over competitiveness. But in terms of like the open market, if you're not doing something good enough and someone else has the, the greed to take advantage of it, they will do it better than you. Yeah. And it's not like it's full greedy. I mean like we at the end of the day buy these products. Mm. So whatever we buy is within our best interest to have these things. And if those things that we're buying don't meet the interests, then we just don't buy them. Yeah, you don't buy them. So it's not the people that are trying to compete in the market that are controlling it, but the people that are buying these products that yeah, control the, the market. The thing is, the people that are competing in the market, what are they competing to achieve? Our needs. Yeah. So even though we determine the market, they are competing at the end of the day to whoever can satisfy our need the quickest, the easiest, and the cheapest in whatever area that they're competing in. and But the thing is, when you hear about like business owners and stuff, it's always that they're these big greedy individuals that want to make as much money as they can, yada, 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 yada. That's cool and all. Like if you want to make money, make money. But if it benefits the what matters more, their intention or their results? Like I could, uh, sure, I could want to be the most greediest person in the world. But if I make a product that everyone loves, and everyone uses it and it makes everyone's life easier and everyone pays me money for it and I get filthy, filthy rich from it. What mattered more? The fact that I'm now filthy, filthy rich or the fact that everyone's life has improved? Yeah, exactly. And I think where we can see this growth in the direction of people looking at the (laughs) the filthy rich and seeing what they're doing and looking at themselves and seeing what they're not able to do. I mean, like, at the end of the day, the people that got to where they are today took huge amount of risk. Mm. They also needed to learn a lot about people and what they want. So if you were someone that doesn't exactly work as much as what others would be doing, so let's just say, I'm not going to go into welfare, but I will talk about people that only want to work part-time job meet the needs of paying for the house, putting food on the table and, you know, putting a bit of fuel in the car each week. So, you know, they're able to pay off the things that need to be paid for in order to survive or live. 
But if we're, and this is where I see the biggest problem at the moment, is that we are seeing people looking at other people's lives and looking at their own and then going, I want to be like that. But then not taking whatever needs about it to get to where that is. I mean, like, let's just say if you want to go on a a holiday to, like, America or Hawaii or something and you are not exactly working hard enough or you're in a job that isn't exactly meeting the demand for which you want to save up and all that sort of stuff, it probably would be in your best interest to develop the skills or move on to another job that's able to give you more skills so therefore you are able to make more money in a job that pays for those types of skills in order for you to save up and then go to yep. that location. And also the job you're currently in can only pay you as much as you make the job for the, the company that the job for the job that you fulfill. They can't pay you more than what you make them. If you only make them eighteen bucks an hour or they can't pay you any more than eighteen bucks an hour. They can't even pay you eighteen bucks an hour because if they pay you eighteen bucks an hour, they're then not making any profit. Mm. They have to pay you less than that to make any profit to keep. And you you hear the word profit and you're like, well, that's just because they're greedy and they want money. It's like, no, that's because the business needs to continue to run. Yeah, the business needs to continue to be there so you can rock up to work the next day. And we need to take into account things that may go wrong in the future. I mean, like if they don't have that extra money there. For a net to save them mm. then it's them that loses out yeah and also like when we talk about business business money is business money it's not personal money salaries are personal money when a, when a business earns money it's the business's money you can't just as an individual go oh say for example i run a company and it made x amount of dollars and i just want to use that for personal you, you can't do that it's business money the business matter if the business pays the person a salary well then sure Go spend that money, but it's business money to be used for the business, or to be sp- spread to the shareholders who have invested in that business. And so, when the business makes profit, it needs to use that money in order to stay afloat, to continue to do that, to continue to do that, so that you can rock up to work the next day. Yeah, and also huge earning employees that make. So I think it was so. I mean, like we've done a lot of investigation. Oh, Thomas I think Souls. Are you talking about so? Yeah, yeah, Souls books and stuff. I mean, like anyone that's interested in getting <laughs> way more information that than we are able to give, Thomas Sowell is your fucking dude. Yeah, and he covers a lot in different areas of uh, expertise and stuff on how things come to be. But basically, what he goes into in one of his uh, topics is. Big businesses paying huge salaries to individuals for whatever reason that the public seem to think. I mean, like, when you put an input of what you think someone should be making, you're just a third party. You're not actually someone that's in their value way, uh, looking at that person and uh, putting that value on that person. Let's just say, for example, a company was losing $500 million a year and they were paying this they started paying this person $50 million a year to start fixing those problems. So they come in, they look at the issues and they go, okay, here's what's going wrong. They save the business from losing 500 million by making or 
maintaining $400 million instead of losing it. But because that business is, has, hasn't lost that money anymore, they make more. And it was that person that came in and fixed that problem that they valued that person at $50 million for the year. So they would have continued still losing. And if that loss had have kept going, then that company would have been losing out. And then people that were working for that company would have lost jobs. People that were buying that product would be losing that product. So the person that has come in and saved that company from losing $400 million was valued at $50 million a year. Yeah, or the, and then say, well, not even, it doesn't even need to start, even if it just makes the company more, as long as that person makes the company more than $53 million in that year, yeah, then the person's worth their money. Yeah. And we kind of look at these, we look at these people that get paid a shit ton of money and we go, oh, well, they get paid that, the cost of the consumer, uh, the, the, the stockholders, the business, yada, 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 yada. But, if the business is now making more money than that person is being paid because of that person, then that person is worth that amount of money because think about it on the other hand. What if that person fucks up? Mm, they're out the door as quick as you can fucking... <laughs> but my point is their decisions will cost millions and millions more in losses. So when you say, think about what you do for a job. I don't know. Like, for example, if I screw up at work, not really that big of a deal. <laughs> it might cost, I don't know, an inconvenience. An inconvenience at most. If the CEO of the company screwed up majorly, it's going to cost the company millions of dollars. But he probably gets paid a lot more than I do because he probably makes the company a lot more than I do. Yeah. Is that wrong? No. But if you but if you think that you can like put a value on what someone's worth and then you investigate why it is that they're worth that much... Maybe it's not that you have a problem. It's that you have a problem with you not making that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, instead of looking at that individual from the third-party perspective and going, that's wrong, pick up a pen and paper and take note. <laughs> because if you're interested in what someone's making, it's probably not because you're mad that he's making this much and you're not. It's that you will probably want to make that too. Yeah. I mean, like, there's just so much confusion when people investigate into these types of things. And, you know, we get to talking and we have our friendship groups and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> but the problem is, if you're not willing to take that risk, then you ain't going to get paid for that risk. Yeah. And it's not like, and, and this is another problem. We do not see where, we do not see the people that are taking that risk in all the losses. We only see them in what they've achieved. Yeah. Sometimes people lose so much, but then they'll hit. And then it's that hitting that's allowed them to make that shit ton of money. Or even you'll just have people that fail and that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's like, there is career. people. There is people because it's, it, just, if, it just is what it is. If no one failed, we'd all be millionaires. Exactly. The whole point is the reason that we look up to these people these quote-unquote rich and health, rich and wealthy people is because it's not an easy thing to achieve. Not everyone does it. If yeah. it was just the norm, well, then there'd be nothing special about being a millionaire. And if everyone was millionaires, then a loaf of bread would probably cost you $1,000. And that's it, yeah. <laughs> inflation would go through the goddamn roof. Exactly. But it's... 
it's this but also in the process of them doing that with a lot of cases it's because they've increased either the efficiency the availability or decreased the price of something at the benefit of the consumer so when you have that continuing in every single sector of the economy over and over again and you have new competition trying to do it even better well then you end up with a standard of living that just naturally will increase because things that were more expensive will now become cheaper the only things that now it seems like an exception to this is like the housing market and the housing market's a weird one because there's a a there's a a lot of regulation a lot of regulation on it but also we're now dealing and this is this is probably one of the cons with this whole you know globalization thing is you're now not just dealing with competition from your own country you're dealing from with competition from the world so if there's a really nice house in a really nice area that's really sought after it's now not only you and whoever lives nearby it's you whoever lives nearby and almost anyone internationally as long as they can get the go ahead to do so mm. So, that is one area where globalization has kind of kicked the average person in the guts. But my th- the thing is, having a house, it's not that it's not. So, our standard of living is so high now. Is owning a house that important? Is it actually that important? Because if it is, you would pay the price to own a house. Because obviously enough people think it's important enough to drive the house prices through the roof. Now, if I was a greedy house developer, I would take this advantage and just build a shite ton of houses. Now, there are regulations on me being able to do that and zoning regulations. There are only certain zones I can build housing in and I have to get council approval and so on and so forth and so forth. And all that drives up the house, the price of all the houses that already exist or the land that's been approved for housing because it's already been through all that process. Then same thing with height restrictions. If you can't build an apartment building with a lot of different houses, like housing situations in it, then if I can't do that, well, then the price also goes up. But what happens when we move those regulations away, like such as zoning and I mean, look, some of the some of the regulations are there for reasons. Yeah, sure. The, the, like some of them to, are in to ensure building quality of houses and things like that. I so, and I agree with some of those. Yeah, some of those should be there. You need checks to go through to make sure that a house is actually safe to live in. The problem is, is when you have so much of them that it takes so goddamn long to get approved for anything. So if you were to take that away, it's the whole thing that like, if you have a big business that's already built up, it can deal with the regulations pretty well because it's got the funds, it's got the wealth, it's got all that. If you take the regulations away, you've now got the opportunity for a bunch of small businesses to bring in competition. Mm. And so if you had all these big building corporations and then you had a bunch of smaller ones coming in and saying, look, we reckon we could do it better. Either better quality, cheaper, more accessible, in some way beat them. Then the housing prices, because so much more housing would be built, I would assume that the housing prices would drop because there'd be more housing available in more areas for more people. Now, yes, certain regulations do need to stay in place because if I said in certain areas to get rid of the height regulations and you can build skyscrapers full of apartments everywhere, that might become an issue. But the price of those apartments would drop. So 
it's kind of the balance between regulation and the competitiveness of the market. Probably if there isn't too much regulation, then those prices... So if we have a demand for houses right. and there's so much regulation... It restricts the supply. It restricts the supply. So, therefore, the prices will be draw- drove up. Yeah. Because there's just so much people asking but so little to give. Yeah. So, well, it's that's only it. in Is their it... best interest to do that because it's a sub. Well, hey, I don't know who to give this to or there's so much of people asking for it Maybe I should just put it in a put it in a place where less people would be able to ask for it. Yeah. Because lack of availability. Yeah. It's like the whole idea that, you know, you you might want a beachfront home or you might want a home with three bedrooms, but so does every other single person who wants a beachfront home or a home with three bedrooms. Hmm. And that's a lot of goddamn people. And if you're gonna sit there and say, Well, I want specifically and especially if it's like if it's one of the most pop if a lot of your criteria is the most popular criteria there is well then you're going to expect a lot of competition in terms of buying that house and there's not an overwhelming supply that's why the house prices through the roof yeah exactly but if you were to have more competition it would also raise the standard of living because now more people would have houses that they own I mean, like, we can look at, uh, I mean, like, there's actually a lot of states within America that have higher house prices, really low house prices. Some of those places don't exactly have a lot of zoning regulations and stuff. So, therefore, people are able to buy up more land, be more further apart. And then because the, the prices of these lands are costing less then they're able to invest more into building nicer and bigger houses and stuff. So, I mean... But also, the, there is one there is one caveat with Thomas Sowell's argument there that I do want to point out because I thought it was interesting because he talks about that. He says, states with less regulation have cheaper house prices, which for the most part, yeah, it makes sense. If you've got an easier way to supply something, well, then that's an easier way to de- meet the demand and therefore your price doesn't need to be so high to meet that demand. You don't have to share a scarce... Re- well, it's not the resources now no, longer, now no longer as scarce. Therefore, you don't need to put as high as a price on it because you're not having to kind of scavenge it out as much. But my one caveat with that argument is some places are more desirable than others. So, sure, you can have a place with less regulation... But if no one wants to live there because it's a shit location, yeah. well, then, of course, your house prices are going to be low. And, of course, in locations that are, say, beachside or something like that, your prices are going to be pretty goddamn high because everyone wants to live there. Yeah. But I do get where the argument comes from, but that is my one caveat with that argument is that there are some places that people just don't want to live. Yeah. And I, and this is like another point that I want to make as well is that when we have those regulations people that are live that need to live within that isolated location need to live more on top of each other when we are living more on top of each other and let's just say for example because well actually i might have to go a little bit deeper into this because if we have an isolated location where we're not able to build that much houses on and 
because there is less houses but a higher demand for houses, the prices do get driven up pretty high. So, if people living within that location begin to say the housing prices are way too high, we can't afford to live, then let's just say, for example, a government steps in and says we need to regulate these things so it's more affordable. Well, the government can step in, make it regulated, make it more affordable, but the people that have to buy those houses and rent them out to them no longer are making almost no any profit, but then they also stop fixing those areas because there's no money being made in it. That was that was a good example with Melbourne. Yeah, for ten, there was a ten year period in Melbourne where not a single apartment was built because of rent caps, because no nobody had incentive to build apartments there because they weren't profitable. And even though the rent caps sound nice, they sound like a good idea. Sure, cheaper rent makes my life easier, probably raises my standard of living. Yes, it raises it, but it artificially raises it. And what happened with that and with a lot of other places that put in, especially London, they had the rent cap was supposed to make it so there wasn't there wasn't a housing problem. So everyone would be able to have housing because it'd be cheaper. But what what it ended up causing was even more homeless people because people who were living in share houses because the rent caps were so low were now able to afford a, sh- a whole house. So it went from this group of people that couldn't afford current prices and therefore were unhomed and then the prices got capped. So they were like, oh, we can buy, we can go live in houses by ourselves now. But also everybody who couldn't afford it either but decided to share house decided, well, I can afford a house by myself now so I'm going to go live in an entire house. And then what happened then is there were so many more people without homes and also because the rent is capped, home builders no longer had incentives to build homes there. And then jobs were lost as well. Because yeah, and then no, jobs were lost as yeah. well. And same with Melbourne. There was no incentive to build apartments. Why? Because they weren't profitable. And because I'm a greedy businessman, my greed needs to be there in order for me to want to build those apartments. So if there's no profit to be made, no no, no product that I can sell at a profitable rate, well, then I'm not going to sell the product there in the first place. And it was actually funny. I think, what was it? There was some place where the rent cap applied to everywhere but luxury housing. So all the building industry, all the building companies turned around and started making luxury houses because they were the only ones that were profitable. So I went from this area where it was just a regular housing area to being a shite ton of luxury houses because all the building companies were like, well, we either build luxury houses or we go bust. Yeah. So they had to build luxury houses. Yeah. And so then you end up with rents that are astronomically high compared to the cap to rent, but are still profitable because people are willing to pay pri- those prices, yeah. the people that can for those houses. And that further incentivizes the building companies to only build that sort of house. Yeah. And, and this is what I want to cover as well is that we can look at people that are living in capped houses and then people that are living in houses that are only affordable to a certain percentage is that we no longer have this spread of people in different areas of, let's just say, money or expertise. But we just have a simple divide now. We just have low income or low earners and then really big earners. And then because of that, we were we just had this massive divide. 
And then it's just like we're looking at this divide and it's just like, well, how do we fix this problem with another regulation? Yeah. We and, we make, and we make standards of living far more harder because people that have to, that are met with those regulations are no longer making the things that are needed to fulfill those needs of making money because there's just nothing to be made or yeah. it's just so much harder. So the standards of living begin to decre- decrease. But also we need to talk about the statistics at some point in there because they can be extremely misleading. Yeah. Uh, household incomes. <laughs> household, yeah. So this is one thing that really kind of, when I thought about it, I'm like, well, no shit, it makes sense. But So we'll, ta- we'll start talking about household income. Yeah, so this thing, with, our, with a lot of statistics, they focus on household income and how that reflects whether some, like whether... It's rich or poor. Now, the problem with household income is that it's the entire household. So, I've lived in share houses and keep in mind, I'm 21 years old and I'm not rich in any way, shape or form. I have lived in share houses that would put me in the top 20 to 10% of earners in the entire country. But I'm nowhere near... (laughs) I'm not even close to being rich. Don't even, I'm not even scratching the fucking, not even scratching the little tip of it. Not even close, but according to household income, I mean, if I look here in South Australia, in South Australia to be in the top 10% of earners in the entire country in terms of household in South Australia, in, sorry, in South Australia to be in the top 10% before tax, you need to earn 3000 $839. Now, that's a lot. Now, to be in the top 20% of earners in South Australia, before tax, the entire household needs to bring home $2,837. Now, my household definitely does that, and I'm in a share house. Your household might. If you're two full-time working people in one household... According to the statistics, you're in the top 20%. So if someone comes out and says, oh, we need to reach, we need to tax the rich. It's like, well, all of a sudden you're in that class now. So it's like, well, hang on. Let's not look at what it says it does. Let's look at what it actually does. Because if you go by household statistics, household statistics are so misleading. And another thing is, is household statistics, while exaggerating how rich certain households are, also exaggerate how poor certain households are. Because what happens when you start, say for example, when you're a kid still living with your parents, what's the biggest limiting factor to you not moving out? It's money. So you start a job when you're living with your parents and you start earning money. Well, all of a sudden your household income of that household is now, if you have one parent working, it's their income. If you have two parents working, it's both their income combined plus your income. That is now your household income. So, you go from a household that will now be in the top, say, 20-30% of households. And then when you move out because you have enough money and you move into a household, say by yourself, say you have enough money to move into a house by yourself, all of a sudden, your household income has gone from top, say, 20% to bottom 20% because you're now living by yourself and it's expected that that's now a household and that's now the money for that household. Now, you're now exaggerating the fact of how rich the first household was 
and how poor the second household is. And so now you get this massive difference between the rich and the poor according to household statistics. And according to household statistics, they don't move. The rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. Well, no. All it's that always happens, moving. Yeah, it's always... And that's the thing. When we talk about the top 20% of earners, they're not the same people. When we say, say if you go snapshot of time, top 20% of earners earn this much and then a few years later... Another snapshot of time. Look, the t- the top 20% are now making even more. Did we check to see if those people in the top 20 cent- 20% are the same people that were in the first 20%? Or no. They, yeah, exactly. Or were they the people that were in the bottom percent? Because if you go through the statistics and so well mentions, it's like, oh, I wish I could find those statistics when they start off and the 20% actually end up earning a income within the top 20% at some point in their life. And I can't remember what the number was, but it was something stupidly huge. But the thing is the people who earn the most money in terms of like actual income are usually in the older brackets. Like we're talking like 50s, 60s sort of thing. And then the people with the most wealth are usually people that are 70 to 74 years old. So is, But the thing is those people would have started off, a lot of those people start off without any of that wealth. But the thing is they have... So they were once young. <laughs> yeah, they have that 40 years or 50 years to gather wealth, gather income, gather experience, become better paid. And it's like, well, so then those people go from those lower brackets to the higher brackets. And then also, what was it? <clears throat> the pe- Within the top people within the... There's more people working full-time, year-long jobs in the top 5% of earners than there are in the entirety of the bottom 20% of earners. There are more people in the top 5% who work full-time year-round, more in the top five. So if you're comparing people who are constantly working full-time all the time, gathering experience, getting all this knowledge, moving up through whatever job they're in compared to people who are not working at all, well, then no shit, the gap's going to widen. What do you expect? And the thing is, none of these statistics take into account government welfare either. It just said, oh, they have no income. Doesn't mean they don't get any money. Mm. I'm sure you know people who work jobs and still get government income. So then what about that? That completely skews the statistics whatsoever. And then chuck on top of that, counting households. Well, we're no longer getting any information about the individual. Mm. None of it's that. None of it's that's accurate. Like, how is any of this information actually useful? Yeah, it's useful for saying the rich are getting rich while the poor are getting poorer. No, the rich are just producing more while the poor are continuing to produce nothing. And that sounds extremely harsh. And yes, there are people who are genuinely in shitty situations where it'll be hard to get out of. But there are also people who just aren't working. And so when we go, I mean, just the simple fact that there are more people working full-time year-round in the top 5% than there are in the bottom 20, it speaks volumes. Mm, exactly. And if we're, if, we're, if we're looking from that perspective of being at the bottom 20% and looking at the top 5%, I mean, like, in compare, if we can prepare lifestyles, they're going to vary. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's not because you aren't getting anything that you... It's, it's not because you are not able to do anything that you're not able to do those things. It's because you're not willing to do the things 
that cover the cost of what it is that you want to do. And if it's in your best interest, in your best interest to do those things, then it should be in your best interest to pave the path to get to where it is that you wish to be. Why should you receive the results for the work you didn't do? It's true. I mean, like, if this was if this was a, a time where you were living in, let's just say, a jungle, for example, amongst other people that are needing to eat and drink to survive, and you're not doing anything, you will probably either be killed or just, or just cast it out yeah. because you're not contributing to that factor. The fact that we don't in, live in civilizations that we can not not have to do anything but still get a piece of the pie is where people are beginning to have these problems where we can where they can talk about it and say you know there is a problem yeah there is a problem but you're not looking at your problem yeah and also you also live in a society that is so prosperous that you can do that you can not do anything and still survive. Yeah. That is a doable thing because we have created a... There's been so many you know, greedy businessmen who have wanted nothing but profit that our standard of living and our ability to produce and receive has become so efficient and so cheap that you can do nothing and still live. There are some societies where if you were to do nothing, you will die. Mm. You just will. Yeah. And I think that's crazy that we can live in a society... Where we have become so efficient that we can that we literally give to other countries so that way that they well. can get by and that as well and that's another thing like and going back to the whole Argentina versus the US in terms of growth it was like you you saw two countries that started off in very similar fashions they both started off with massive amounts of agriculture. And the US ended up industrializing because it was able to industrialize because it had so much surplus of agriculture that it was able to then invest in industrialization and then exports and imports and all that other. And people started immigrating and stuff like that. Whereas Argentina, just agriculture, 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 no industrialization whatsoever. And that was good. It was great until the whole thing with like Argentina was like, just make more farming land. Just make more farming land. And also the government was not great either. It was kind of like this, instead of having farmers own land, it was a landowner who was kind of like an oligarch and then there was farmers that would use their land, which is where the whole thing of like having private property becomes important as well because you're probably going to be more invested in an investment when it's on private property that you own because you know that's actually yours. If you invest on something that you don't own, well, then there's no security that that investment will actually come through or be secure. Yeah. And so you had all these farmers working out and they kept expanding, 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 expanding. Well, once you get to the edges of your country, that's it. You can't expand anymore. Once you get to all the fertile land that you use, that's it. You can't get, you can't go anymore. So then they started to industrialize slowly after that. But at that point, it was too late. And plus, World War One broke out after that. So all the money that they were receiving from investors in overseas countries, and especially in Europe, got pulled because they're in the middle of a war. They can't afford it. And so Argentina's, what was it? They went through so many different currencies and leaders and it was an absolute mess. While on the other hand, the US had industrialized, adapted to the import and export market, had capitalized on it, seeking profit, 
but at the same time supplying goods in massive amounts to countries that were benefiting from it. And then when World War One came along, they also were able to take opportunity on that and they went from having to borrow money from European countries to now European countries borrowing money from them. And so it's a complete 180 because they made themselves so proficient, efficient, just so so much better at producing what they needed to produce and taking advantage of an import and export market. So in other words, letting other countries exploit them even though we say exploit, like if, if it was any other country and we thought, oh, we want to take your resources for money, you'd be like, well, that's exploiting. Well, how else... You just may benefit. <laughs> how else am I supposed to benefit from that resource? Yeah. Like if I have the biggest, say, oil reserve in the world, I can't use all of it. I've got to, if I want to make actual profit or use that to raise my standard of living, I'm going to have to export it. I'm going to have to let other countries take some. Am I being exploited if that raises my standard of living or allows me to have an economy that can actually circulate currency? Absolutely not. No. I mean, sure, there are probably some situations where you get, where a country does get not robbed, but in terms of what they're selling their goods for is a price that may be a bit lower than everywhere else, but they still need to sell it at a price that's profitable to what it's being obtained for. So I can ask for X amount of money for a certain product, but if it costs more than that to get that product to me, well, then that person isn't going to accept anything lower than what that is plus a bit of profit. It just isn't possible. Otherwise, they're not going to sell it to me. They'll stop They'll stop going for that resource because it isn't profitable anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So then it's non-existent. And then it's non-existent. And also that country needs to have the information and resources to be able to take advantage of that resource in the first place. Say two countries, and that was the thing with like replicating A and B. If you have two places that are exactly the same with the same amount of resources, if one group of people doesn't know how to use the resource, they're not... How do I I explain? If that other group of people learn how to take advantage of that resource develop from it and then come over to the other group and say hey can we use that resource or can we get some of that resource over there and we'll pay you for it and you go oh well you're exploiting me it's like well can you use that resource yeah and if the answer is no well what i'm giving to you yeah well what if what can you do with that exactly what if i am to take your resource and then give you something that you can actually use yeah well then is that still exploiting no or if I'm paying you for it and giving you the ability to invest in other things or invest in ways to take advantage of that resource, am I still exploiting? If that raises your standard of living, if that gives you an export market to take advantage of, am I am I still ex- am I still taking advantage of you? Yeah, exactly. Like we always look at the negative, we never look at the positive. And yes, there are situations where it does go tits up, and there's a lot of negatives in it. But there are also situations where countries just haven't taken advantage. Yeah, at absolutely. all. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, I want to chuck this in there because it's really, I find it to be quite interesting. Rural areas that are further from main cities can make products and produce more expensive based off the cost to get to those locations. If the location is isolated from from things like roads and rail, it can only make it harder to get to, but far more expensive, meaning that the people living in those areas will have to pay greater prices than people living in main cities. So, I mean, like, we can look at we can look at cities and stuff that sell things for, like, cheaper prices and shit. 
and then there's you know people that ex- kind of want them in areas that it's not exactly to get things to then if we're going to get those things to that location it's going to obviously cost more yeah and the person that is willing to sell those things in those areas that it's hard to get to isn't going to do it exactly for for free yeah so and we can also look at it from uh, the perspective of areas that have high crime rates areas that have high crime rates will sell products far more expensive because they have to cover the cost of losing products Mm. and it's not just it's it's not that they're exploiting people for more money in areas where it's uh, not exactly prosperous as others. It's because the people that aren't exactly willing to pay for those prices do the good old uh, five-finger discount, <laughs> but everyone else has to pay for it. Yeah, and also, let's say I make a cent. Let's say I make a cent of profit off of every item sold. And then if someone steals an item worth 25 cents, I've now lost the profit for 25 different items. Yeah. So if one in, say for example, and most things cost more than, say for example, I'm making 50 cents on every product that I sell. Uh, Someone steals something worth 20 bucks. Well, then that's just a whole bunch of product. Like that's a whole bunch of product I've just lost profit on, whether it's product previously sold or is going to be sold in the future. If that happens enough times, I can still sell things and not make any profit whatsoever, none. And then if I'm paying increased insurance, because the insurance is going to cost more because if I'm in a high crime area, well, then that's going to cost more if I have to hire private security forces in order to make sure I don't get, to make sure things don't get stolen or I don't get robbed, well, then that's going to cost more. If I need to lock up my shop with, say, barred windows and things like that, that's going to cost more. So then do you expect me to be able to sell my products at a price as cheap as everywhere else? No. It's the same thing with getting products to remote places. I've got to pay for the transport to get that product there. And also the product's going to get there in smaller amounts than it would at big superstores. And so they're able to take advantage of economies of, of size. I don't have that advantage. So therefore I have to charge more to cover those costs. Plus, everything around me is going to cost more as well because it's remote. So then I need to be able to sell things at my store at a higher price so I can then take advantage of other things that would help my store continue to function mm. that are also going to be at a higher price. So this is where like uh, like urban areas and cities and especially around like ports and things like that because the cost of shipping something is so much cheap. Like it's funny when you look at how, what was it? I think it's, Australia, it was Australia somewhere. Some country was selling a resource. It was either coal, oil or something like that, but they would ship it somewhere to be refined and then buy it back and it was cheaper than the country doing it itself within its own country because the cost of transporting that resource to wherever it needed to be to be refined in its own country was more expensive at the time than to have it shipped across to another country have it refined there and then shipped back. The shipping between two countries was cheaper. Yeah. That just shows you how efficient because you look at the distance, you go, there's no way that could be cheaper. But that ship can carry so much more. It can take advantage of that economy of scale so much more Mm. than the trucks or whatever you could land transport you're going to use. So much more than it makes it cheaper to send it to another country and then buy it back. Yeah. 
than it. And to the average person, like I know when I heard that, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That doesn't, how can that make, but the thing, weirdly enough, it does. Yeah. If you actually look, it's, it does make sense, even though logically it seems like, well, that shouldn't make sense. But when you look into it, it does. And I didn't know that until I actually started looking into it. And it's the whole thing with like when the CEOs get paid millions of dollars. It's like when you look at it, it doesn't make any sense. But if you understand the situation, the limitations and incentives, you could understand. And that's why when so, especially when Sowell was talking about you, you're not in that situation to make the decision whether or not that thing or that person is worth that amount of money or should should charge that amount of money for that service. You're not in a position to know. So you shouldn't automatically jump to the conclusion, hey, no. Yeah. Because maybe it's the only way I can. Yeah. Maybe there isn't any other, maybe I can't go cheaper. Maybe that is literally the cheapest I can go. Or maybe that is literally the only way I can do it to sustain the current price that it's at. So don't look at what it says it does, look what it actually does. Like, if you look into certain things, you'll be surprised. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, people aren't exactly willing to just do things for the sake of whatever. People want something out of it. I mean, like, you can't not say that you're all selfless and all this and that. No one's selfless. I mean, like, you got to eat at the end of the day. Yeah. How selfish of you. <laughs> exactly. So, it's just like, we need to, we need to get something... We need, if we need to do something to get something, we probably will do it. Yeah. And, you know, if we're given everything, then we're not exactly going to do fuck all. So, there's just so much. There's so much to cover. There's so much to cover. Okay, wh- this is what I want. I don't have any notes on this. I do want to cover this, though. In the pursuit of living standards, we can actually increase the interest of what we can consider to be as living standards. If having a phone is what we can consider to be a living standard and more technology is invested into that phone, then the standard of living is beginning to change because not only can that phone call someone, but that phone can do social media, it can play games, it can take photos. So when we have those types of things that such and such increases living standard, we need to look at what it can do in a negative effect because the increase on uh, social media, uh, people using social media, when we discussed this about misleading things that pull people in because it's interesting to the individual. It has something to do with them and they're continuously being drawn in. So when it comes to uh, greed on that, when it comes to greed on that level, where we're continuing to do things in order to imp- increase profits by using human psychology. I mean, like, at a l- we, we can ex- be exploiting because it's something we have to invest investigate in to understand what unconscious behaviours that are being used in yeah. order to make profits. So that's when it becomes a problem because if we're using things of or algorithms that are based on things that we are interested in, and let's just say, for example, we are interested in health and fitness. Then we have a lot of people popping up that are in the fitness, health and fitness industry with things that we look at and we like, we wish to aspire to be. So if we're looking at those things and we're continuously being fed that information that puts us in a position to be vulnerable at ourselves, about ourselves, then that can be an issue. 
Yeah. And the issue with that is, is that if more people are being put in a position where they're not exactly looking at themselves to be what they want to be, and that can create somewhat vulnerability. Uh, when we feel vulnerable, we become anxious, and because we are anxious, we are now getting depressed of the way life is heading. So if we continue in directions where such things happen like this, it can get bad. And we are seeing a negative effect in young children uh, looking at information that is being given to them on social media platforms and they're using it to use themselves as an example to these people. So we know this. More and more people are knowing it. Whether And the problem is, is that getting people to know that, we need to help distribute that information in order to correct the situation. So we could regulate it or it could be more in other people's best interest to help spread that information and get it out more. Yep. Um, so but there is a problem. Yeah. There the is a problem. The thing is, social media is also free. Yeah. Do you think that's the actual cost? I mean, when I talk about cost, I mean the way these companies make their money is not through like a subscription service. They make their money through just having your attention, you viewing the ads, which we talked about in one of the other episodes. So although what their business actually is, is just getting you to pay as much attention as possible. And they're really good at that. And you're the currency. So they want to get as many as you looking as many, as much as, as much of your time as you can give. And then the problem is, is that also when you look at these things on social media, like when we talk about like rich people, when you talk about rich people, you're talking about people you see on social media that have a shit ton of money. They're a very small percentage at the same They're time the one, well. they're quite literally like the less than 1%. And you look at that and you go, oh, all these people are rich. It's like, and also, I, I know this from people that I know that do financial stuff. How do you even know they own this shit? Mm. Because I know someone who knows another person. I'm not going to go into any names or anything, but they were telling me about someone that they know who took out a $150,000 loan buy a Ferrari when they were already going tits up on their mortgage for their house. So they had this big, nice house. They had this Ferrari. They didn't, yes, technically they own the home, but that's the thing. When you buy a home, like when you get a home loan, the home isn't really yours until that loan's paid off. The, The bank pretty much owns your house, but his home loan was going tits up. And then he goes and buys a Ferrari. So if I was to take a photo of this man, he's got a massive mansion and a Ferrari. What a fucking catch. Fast forward 12 months down the track. He hasn't got either one of them. Why? Because he couldn't pay his fucking loans. Yeah, exactly. And also looking at uh, things that are of higher cost, like Ferraris, they don't exactly... The companies that produce those types of cars produce them at higher prices because they're going to be obviously selling less of them. They make like most of like a lot of those are made by hand. Yeah. When we talk about like, when you look at a lot of just normal cars, they're mass produced. Um, Henry Ford was the first person to come up this, why he was able to make so much money because he made 
making cars so goddamn efficient and cheap compared to anyone before him that he was able to sell them so goddamn cheap that he was able to undercut all this competition. And so he made... he. This is the whole thing. It's like, don't keep the profits, reduce the price of what you're selling. Why? Because A, you're more competitive and B, you reach more of the market. And he's a living example of not keeping the profit on the individual product, but instead dropping the price of the individual product and keeping the extra earnings of having a larger consumer base flew to the top of the competition. Exactly, exactly. But then, and when you look at when you look at things like Ferraris and things like that, they're all handmade, handmade, and they take a lot of time, and they don't produce a lot of them. And then, if you get supply and demand in there as well, lots of people look at Ferraris and go, "Oh, I want one." So then, yeah. there's lineups. Like, whereas when you look at cars on a on a lot, it's like, well, the cars are sitting there for months because there's so many of them. Yeah. That it's like, well, I'm going to wait for the price to drop, sort of thing. Whereas with Ferraris, it's like, no, I want a Ferrari now. And yeah. if I can afford a Ferrari, I'm going to get a Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, Ferraris are so looked up, looked for that you're willing to pay prices that you can't afford for Ferraris. Yeah. yeah. And also, we look on social media where we have people that have huge influence and have these uh, things that aren't considered as necessities because of what because they want it. They want it. They have the they have the money to buy those things, so they can get it. So when they're advertising these types of things on their social media platform, we need to understand that the people that are being followed, the people that are following those certain individuals, you're not the only one that is seeing that. If they're someone that has a million followers, then they're sharing that with a million people. And that's a million of you saying the same thing, being in the same position. So when there's a million of you saying things like my living standards aren't exactly quite as good as theirs, but you're not willing to do anything about... But also, what if I flip it? Mm. What if instead of going, look at his living standards, mine aren't up to his. What if I was to flip it around and go, look at how many people in the entire world your living standard is above? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, literally, because you're seeing you're seeing it from that perspective of that person. And like, this is what I'm starting to realize. A lot of the questions that we have really need to be flipped. Like, for example, the whole thing with like, well, why are countries for poor? No, we should be asking why are countries rich? Yeah. Like, how? What did we do right? And what what went right and what went wrong? What was luck? What was actually conscious made decisions? And can we re- reproduce that? It was the same thing with the meaning of life. You shouldn't ask life what's the meaning. Life asks you every day, what's your meaning? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same thing with this. It's like, you shouldn't be asking yourself why isn't... What, you shouldn't be looking at life and being like, oh, my, my standard of living isn't, isn't up to theirs. D- do a flip. Flip it around. You're probably living better than most people in the entire world. Yeah. And exactly. you don't recognize that because you're too busy looking at... I mean, social media wouldn't be as interesting if you were always looking at stuff that was shittier than your own life. Yeah. But it would make you a lot happier... Because if you're constantly seeing absolute shit and tyranny, and you're living a life that's pretty good, you've got a house, you've got a roof over your head, you've got water, you've got food, you've got a shopping center you can literally walk to, and yeah. it's just food. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be there every time you go there. Exactly, and you don't you don't exactly see a lot of people following uh, other very very poor people. They're more interested in following people that are very very rich. Yeah, because it caters to what they want yeah so i mean like if you're being influenced by someone that 
like I said, has a healthy body and you wish to be healthy or maintain your health and you're continuously viewing that, then you're boosting that standard of what you can consider to be as known as your perfect thing or objective. So then if you're not meeting that standard, things can get a little bit haywire in your head or with the people around you. But if you were to follow people that were doing less than you, I can probably tell you right now, you wouldn't exactly be on your social media as much because you would feel like, oh, I I don't exactly feel good for... Yeah. But that's the thing. We need to learn to appreciate what it is that we do have. And also started from the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean like just having a cup probably improves standards of living, not having to be near a water hole for too long. (laughs) Because you didn't have to worry about that big fucking alligator in the water lurking around ready to chomp you off. And also that's the other thing. You needed the incentive to make the cup in the first place. Like you wouldn't have made the cup if there was no need to make the cup. Yeah. It's because there was a need, you fulfilled it. Yeah. That's what business is. There's a need, you fulfill it. Yeah. Kind of like a cup. Yeah. Fulfill. I reckon we should pay this Yeah, otherwise it's going to keep going and going. Yeah, we could go all day. I'm glad we had this conversation because this is a conversation that we get into a lot. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's also because we've had a change in mind and how we view yeah. the world and it's just yeah. like we have to like talk about it. So we yeah. we were very excited both to do this episode so that way more people were able to invest some time into understanding how things work around them. So I'm very happy we did this and Look, I hope honestly, people enjoyed I, this. Yeah, I could have kept talking and talking and talking but yeah. we do need to wrap it up at some point. <laughs> so thank you very much guys for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe to the youtube follow us on instagram and we're now on spotify yes which is on our uh instagram timeline so if you're interested in using our spotify which is far more easier for people that are just don't have to leave their phone open or tv going and stuff to listen to our episode it makes it far more efficient which is good so adapting to the market baby yeah exactly (laughs) we're adapting we're doing good (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in the next episode all right catch you